Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In August 2020, Mark and Sarah talk about songs as supporting Hungry for Music. Hungry for Music collects used musical instruments and gets them into the hands of underserved youth with a hunger to play. This month, we're donating 10% of MassDAS revenue to Hungry for Music. For more about what they do and how you can help, check them out at hungryformusic.org. And if you'd like to participate in our sponsorship of music-related organizations, become a MassDAS patron at patreon.com slash MassDAS. Thanks for listening. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about Y'all, it is our bicentennial of sorts. Welcome to episode 200 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. 200 episodes! Oh my god. God. It's so good. We've lasted almost as long as cheers. So, (laughs) for the 200th time, I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and I am, once again, delighted to be joined by the spoon-tasty, knife-atocious, forkalicious co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. I'm not just one utensil, I'm the whole drawer. Hello. Yeah, flatware this motherfucker! Sarah, we have a very special theme for our 200th episode. Do you care to tell us what it is? I certainly do. Uh, we really were like, 200 episodes, like how do we make this as special and also as mass test? spectacular as possible so of course we settled on share we've <laughs> never really dug into share before share has uh played an important role in our podcasting and cultural lives elsewhere on the whatever pod turnet so we thought how do we make this really massed ass like we can't just pick one song so what we're doing is we have selected share's most popular songs her 10 most popular songs you're going to talk about them we are going to rank them you helped us rank them patreon supporters here's how a ranking episode works in case you've just arrived we are going to go in this case in alphabetical order through the songs we will talk about them we will give our rankings each ranking gets a point value so since there are 10 songs our favorite song number one will get 10 points Second favorite will get nine, and so on. We will also incorporate our Patreon patrons' rankings. We will combine these numbers, and at the end, there will be a ranking that has the force of law, as all of our rankings do. I think that's it. I think that is it. And I feel that Cher is such a perfect person to focus on in an episode that celebrates our longevity because Cher's ass has been popular since 1960 fucking five. She has been popular since 1965. Adam Grossworth and I saw her live in concert in 2019 and it was awesome. She's out at Target with a mask on doing her thing. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, don't come for me. I need these Cheetos. (laughs) Get away from me. I also just think that you, it would, like you said, be impossible, I think, to do an episode on a single share song because inevitably you can't talk about one share song without talking about all of the genres that share has recorded in. And she has made music in every conceivable genre, it seems to me. And that's why I am glad that we're looking at 
her 10 biggest hits according to the Billboard charts because it really covers a wide spectrum of her uh, musical life. And I do want to also clarify, when we say her 10 biggest hits, we do not necessarily mean her 10 most beloved songs. We do not mean our 10 favorite share songs. We mean the 10 songs that have peaked the highest on the Billboard Hot 100, counting both Sonny and Cher and Cher as a solo artist. Um, There's one instance where I fudged the rules a little bit, but we'll get to that. But for the most part, these are the songs that peaked the highest. And that means that some incredible Cher songs will not be discussed today, including I Found Someone, um, the beautiful, amazing power ballad from Burlesque, You Haven't Seen the Last of Me, um, her cover of uh, uh, It's In His Kiss, the Shoop Shoop song. Like There are so many great Cher songs that, honestly, Sarah, we could have a Cher podcast and it could go for 200 episodes. And we might. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't test try us. us. <laughs> Well, I th- I think then without further ado, oh, and let me also just say, so with that in mind, here are the 10 songs that we will be discussing today in this order. After all, her duet with Peter Cetera, Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down, The Beat Goes On, Believe, Dark Lady, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, Half Breed, I Got You Babe, If I Could Turn Back Time, and Take Me Home. So those are the songs we'll be ranking, again, based on their Billboard performance. And, you know, the good news is, Sarah, I think it's not too much of a spoiler to say, there are some really great songs on this list and maybe some not as great songs. So Mm -hmm. these songs also give us a lot of things to talk about. (laughs) I am very interested to see where your rankings are. I think we're going to be pretty close on a lot of things, and I think we're going to be way off on some other things, but I literally never am right about how these things go. (laughs) I really hope the Patreons have not shocked stunned and saddened me again (laughs) i'm joking it's so funny too that like the way this ended up um being like the the way the hits ended up clustering or not clustering based on doing it in alphabetical order there's like a little bit of whiplash there but i think i think this ended up settling out in a really interesting way that let parallels be drawn so yeah i mean enough theorizing shall we get into it Yes, so the very first song is After All. This was an Oscar-nominated song from the film Chances Are that was released in 1989. It was co-written by Dean Pitchford, who also wrote all of the songs on the Footloose soundtrack, and you can find that episode of this show. If you dig back in the archives a bit, we talk at length about the Footloose soundtrack. Um, this was a one of Cher's uh, hits on Geffen, which is the label that pushed her into her, I guess rock and adult contemporary phase from which quite a few of the songs on this list will come. This was uh, a song that reached number six. And here's a clip. Your kiss was so brand new Every memory repeats Every step I take retreats Every journey always brings me back to you. After all the stops and starts, we keep coming back to these two hearts. Two angels who've been rescued from the fall. This is meant to be forever. 
Oh, Satara. How's it going, buddy? Oh, so Sarah, what are your Sarah Satara? Oh my God! If you married Peter Satara, your name would be Sarah Satara. Also, <laughs> I would absolutely be my father's favorite because of the Chicago connection. Because that's my father's favorite. Um, this song, this song was ubiquitous, and then I, I don't think I've heard it since Clinton was president. Truly, so. It was really interesting to come back to it. Here's here's a thing that I shouldn't have done, which was to look up the movie <laughs> and read the plot summary in which no one's going to watch this, I hope. But spoiler, like basically this guy is reincarnated and ends up like in an affair with his own kid. It's oh, God. Gross. Anyway. And this is like their love theme. Even though, like, whatever, he has some injection at the end so that he doesn't remember that it's her. Like, I mean, look, I love you, RDJ, but dude. Okay, so that affected my enjoyment of this beautiful ballad somewhat. But it just brought me back to a time when Peter Cetera was this, like, omnipresent cultural titan, which I think at the time was not wanted. Um, But... These are two professionals who know how to get their voices to go together, share sometimes in a duet scenario can sound a little insincere. Like I I think even with all of the duet work that she has done in her career, it's maybe not something that is natural for her to mm. intertwine her instrument with someone else's, but Satara is a pro and is a good match for her. Well, I also think it's because Cher's voice is so distinctive that if you don't have a very powerful, distinct instrument of your own, guess who wins? Cher wins. Yeah. Well, and he also does, and he's immediately and so, recognizable. So yeah. Um, but that's but, why I think they work well, and like yeah. her duet with Meatloaf also works well too, because like Dead Ringer, that one's called, because Meatloaf and Peter Cetera don't sound like anybody else. They are themselves. And uh, Cher, if you're going to step to Cher, you've got to have that kind of vocal personality. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I'm more sort of admiring of the song's um, smarts about itself and its own construction than I am necessarily into the song Qua Song. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean I couldn't sing along with every single part of it, including like when they change a, you know, run for the third chorus, like, oh yeah, I, I knew where that was coming. Down to me and you. Yeah, exactly. You like, uh, I mean, look, I, I lived on earth in the late eighties. It's not possible for me not to have this in my bone marrow, but it was right in the middle for me. Number six, five points. Oh, well that is completely fair. And, you know, I don't think that there is going to be any confusing this song with the songs that he wrote for, that Dean Pitchford wrote for Footloose. And I think that that might be one of the reasons that this song, as a song, it's just like, it is essentially almost Paradise, which is the yes, song that it, Dean Pitchford wrote yeah, for Footloose. It is. I mean, it they're the same song. Yeah. Like, and that song was performed by Ann Wilson and Mike Reno. So it's like Ann Wilson and Cher are not so far apart. No. And Mike Reno of Loverboy is not as great as Peter Cetera, but it's like the same formula was completely used. That being said, I love it too. 
I know every fucking word. I really get a kick out of singing two angels who've been rescued from the fu-. And this is a reminder to me, Sarah Debunting, I will say this to you now. There is a share song for literally every mood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because sometimes, sometimes I am in a cheesy power ballad place and Cher has got this and you haven't seen the last of me she's ready and uh this song is you're right it is slight but very satisfying I'm so sorry I got so caught up in thinking about Dean Pitchford that I didn't hear you say your ranking where did you put my ranking is number six five points okay okay yes thank you for telling me that again um so you put it in sixth place five points the patrons put it in fifth place with six points and I put it in fourth place ah, with seven points. So uh, a perfect little row. Um, but yeah, you know, I will never in my life. You're right. This song doesn't really show up in the wild that much these days. But I will never in my life be sad to sing along with this song. It is uh, it is very good at what it does. It is all professionals all the time. And I'm not mad about it. Yeah, same. Okay. So next we have... Cher's very first solo hit. That's not true. Cher's very first top 10 solo hit. Her first ever solo hit was a cover of Bob Dylan's All I Really Want to Do. And it it debuted on the Hot 100 the week before I Got You, Babe. So actually, Cher's first ever chart appearance was with was as a solo artist. Now that song peaked in the top 20, not in the top 10. Anyway, Sonny Bono wrote Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. And this song reached number two in the late 60s. Say goodbye, he didn't take the time to lie Bang, bang, he shut me down Bang, bang, I hit the ground Bang, bang, that awful sound Bang, bang, my baby shot me Okay, well, Sarah, what do you think? <laughs> I I got some things. Um, this I was surprised to learn that this was from her second album. It came out when she was twenty, so there is a certain jejun approach here that is like not unpredictable. But I I feel like she should have been advised better on how to deliver this song because the song is fascinating but then there's all this other shit on like why is this a tarantella like i i guess i get why it's a tarantella but like this all this is all gonna come back when we're talking about roma tramps and thieves (laughs) and part indigenous person so like all of the sort of like aural um indicating that is happening on this song like i get it but there are so many times that I'm going to say this in this ranking where it's like, stop piling shit, like stop piling sparkly bushels on Cher's light. Like, just let her sing. This story is fascinating. Her vocal is um, unstudied, but if you've given her another few takes and been like, please actually try to feel something for this character, she, she could get it. It's just really young 
And I, I think she's not engaging with it entirely emotionally. And then mm. there's like finger symbols. I want to love this song. And it, but then it just kept dropping in my rankings. Like, I don't hate it, but it's just not, it needs like two more drafts, another 20 minutes in the oven, something, something. But like, this is a, this is a murder ballad. Fucking try. I don't know. Eight, three points. Well, Sarah, we're very much aligned here as well. I'm glad that you said that you want to love Bang Bang. I also want to. There is the inherent drama of the language of the song, the thumping drums and all of that. Yeah. Like, it, the, it, that's that's cool. And then there's the part in the middle that I didn't clip where it does become a Tarantella. And it's like, you know, that's interesting. In this, in the 60s, Sonny Bono wrote a couple of hits for Cher, another one being a song called You Better Sit Down, Kids, that really love to get really wild and fast for like eight bars, and then they pull back. Anyway, but <sighs> there's a part in this song where Cher goes, hey, and it's supposed to be like a Tarantella shout, and it has that she-wolf Shakira level of enthusiasm, yeah. which is no enthusiasm at all. Yeah, this is what I was talking about. It, Hey, Hey, bang, bang. Then in 1987, for her very first rock album that she released on the Geffen label that features the songs We All Sleep Alone and I Found Someone, she re-recorded Bang, Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down to be like a heavy metal song, basically. Michael Bolton and John Bon Jovi do backing vocals. Wow. It is batshit fucking crazy, and I still don't think it works. It's actually at that point too much. I just for whatever reason, can never quite get into this song, except, randomly, when Nancy Sinatra covers it, which she also did, and her version is the one that opens Kill Bill Part 1. Right. So, and I have to say, I think that Nancy Sinatra did the better version of the song. Well, there is a certain, like, there is a way in which a very flat affect could work for this song. And I think Nancy Sinatra sometimes is like focusing so hard on her singing that she's not acting, which is fine. Um, Welcome to rock and roll. But like Cher is like sometimes locked in on what she's singing about and sometimes not. And I just feel like this original arrangement with the, you know, speedy parts and bells and like sometimes she seems like she's reading the phone book and other times she's like, I'm about to be killed. Like I, I, you just have to strip it way, way, way the fuck down. And yes, ready? Get that bingo stamper ready. Alison Krauss would know how to do this. Sorry. That's, <laughs> yes, she would. And there's also this insane version of the song by David Guetta with Skylar Gray that turns it into a club anthem. Also huh. doesn't work. So there's this, this, I think that bang, this song Maybe is just a song, very, then. I think that this song actually might be a song that is a decent idea that Sonny Bono could never quite bring to fruition. Yeah. Maybe it is the song. If really the only version I like is the Nancy Sinatra version. Yeah. Yeah, because Cher is a much more gifted vocalist, to be sure. Well, Sonny Bono, R.I.P. <laughs> he, like, um, he tried he something. Still, he still had an interesting life, and clearly lots of people disagree with us. This song was a big hit, and I think that Adam Grossworth 
the aforementioned actually loves this song, so he's probably disagreeing with us right now. That being said, you put it in eighth place, I put it in seventh place, and the patrons put it in sixth place. Mm. So again, just little stair steps. Uh, that So seventh place for me is four points. Sixth place from the patrons is five. And again, eighth place for you is three points. Yeah, and I I struggled with where to put this. I mean, like my bottom two were no-brainers. It's like, which do I hate more? But like everything <laughs> above that, it was like, this was one of the toughest rankings for me personally ever mm. because there are so many different eras and ways of yes. being that she is that it's like to compare these to each other. Anyway, I I soldiered on. I will expect a parade. Bravely, yes, we've already ordered all of the streamers, so get ready. (laughs) And the fishnet uh, bodysuits that we'll all be wearing as we march by your home. Oh my god, yes. So, coming up next is The Beat Goes On, and this is a hit for Sonny and Cher. It reached number six, and it's the only other Sonny and Cher song other than I Got You Babe that ever appears on any of Cher's greatest hits albums, which I think tells you a lot. Um, and here we go. Charleston was once the rage History has turned a page The miniskirt, the current thing Yeah. Before we before we start, I do have to say, in researching this, I learned that of all fucking people, Britney Spears covered this song on her first album. Huh. What? Anyway, Kay. she did. More for her. Look. Yeah. This is a classic. I don't like it, but that's why they invented different radio stations, not just one. That's America. Um, this is one of those that, like, it just does not translate. Like, I understand why it was a big whoop when it came out, but it just feels like a list of things that were interesting to people in the sixties. And it's like, what a time to be alive. Electrically, they keep a baseball score. What are you fucking kidding? You're like 20. (sighs) Anyway, the lyrics, I think, think they're trying to say something insightful about like the more things change, the more they stay the same. But uh, it just feels to me kind of cynical and like, picking a title uh, that will mean the song is referred to and used many times in stories about pop music. And the, I mean, this song has just been everywhere all the time since it came out, I feel like, but I don't like it. I've never liked it. Ninth place, two points. It's it's just like unpleasant to me to listen to. And it has been so overused in flashback episodes and movies set in the 60s. And that's not the song's fault. But sitting down to listen to it, it's like, oh, no, I I just don't like this. It's just like so 60s (sighs) in absolutely none of the ways that I enjoy. 
Here's the thing. Apparently, the phrase, and the beat goes on, is on Sonny's tombstone. Well, he earned it. Look, this song, because of the name, probably, and its ubiquity, probably earned him a squillion dollars, and good for him. I just don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. And um, Cher's voice is so good that... At least when she is singing, I'm like, the sound of that is nice. But you're so right. These lyrics are just like, the teeny bopper is our newborn king. Like, like seriously, <sighs> like you said, Cher was not Cher was not even legally able to drink when this song came out. Yeah. And she's like, old granny spitting out the Werther's original candy so that she can complain about well, the teeny bopper. And then, yeah, I was like, the are you telling just... yourselves to get off your lawn? What is happening? Seriously. And also, it's not just electrically they keep a baseball score it's electrically like she doesn't even say the first e and it's just like now what are you fucking dennis the menace like oh god <laughs> oh that's and a i i agree with you burn, this song is mark trees it <laughs> this song is so clearly written by sonny bono who wrote it and produced it as an attempt to get eventually into a commercial for a bank yes and I, 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 like it's just so clearly a product of it's like a focus group song, and um, I find it the it's so musically uninteresting. And there is a woman who was part of an important group of session musicians called the Wrecking Crew named Carol Kay, who played bass on this song. And I found an interview with her where she said her bass line she feels is basically what made this song a hit because before she added the bass, there was literally nothing to it. And I was like, well, girl, you're right because there's barely anything to it now. Yeah. I think and, this song also just sounds rinky-dink. It sounds like it was made like in someone's like old outhouse. Yeah, I just, garage. Ugh, I, uh, and Cher, it, like her voice sounds great, but like it's too much for this song. Like this song yes. does not require vibrato. Do not bring that in here. It doesn't help. I also have to say. I've never understood the appeal of Sonny. I don't think he's... I don't like listening to his voice. Yeah, no. Uh, he, with the with one very potent exception that naturally we'll get to later, I think often his songwriting is unsuccessful. Last place for me, Sarah. Tenth yeah. place, one point. Fair enough. And and again, the stair steps continue. You put it in... I put it in tenth. You put it in ninth. And the patrons put it in eighth. So... Um, Oh, I think boy. that the beat can just shut the fuck up for a minute is what we're saying. Yeah. Well, now, shit is about to get real interesting, I think. If you would care to now leap forward 32 years from <laughs> I, 1967 I to 1999. Would I? <laughs> if, I, I as, as we were preparing this, I was thinking, what would 1967 Cher have thought if you had then if you had played Believe for her and been like, Guess where your music's going to go? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Believe was Cher's, it's one of the most prominent comeback stories in all of pop music. She had not had a top 10 hit since 1990 with the song Just Like Jesse James, which is so good, but we're not going to be talking about today. So it was almost a decade before she came back with Believe, which reached number one, became the the number one song for all of 1999 made Cher one of the oldest people to ever have a number one hit. And there's so many other things about this song that are so noteworthy in that chart stat way. Plus, well, spoiler, it's fucking great. So here is Believe. Well, I know that I'll get through this. 
I, I say this I now wanna... knowing that I'm in a safe place. I once performed this at karaoke. Was, <laughs> we did not have our own room. I had to do it an octave <laughs> lower because I'm me. And uh, I fucking killed it, but I'm never doing it again. <laughs> yes, that's all I want is to know that you put that into the world. I'll tell you what, the echo still reverberates. You I don't mean, know what changes are still happening. Look, I think I was basically being pranked and I was like, look, this isn't going to come out like you think it is, but sure. Okay. <laughs> and I guarantee you that someone somewhere right now is having an emotional moment. And they don't know why they're grateful, but it's because you sang that song in karaoke. Yeah. And there's like a faint, they're like, it smells like rosé in here. (laughs) Cheap (laughs) rosé. I I just, the other thing, of course, that we should bring up historically is this is the very first hit song that used the vocoder. And that, the vocoder is sometimes known still as the share effect Uh because of this song. And it's interesting because now there have been so many artists like Kanye West and T-Pain who have vocoded entire songs. They barely use it in Believe. Like, it just pops up here and there. It's like an accent. And uh, it's just interesting to think that Cher was, after all those decades in the business, was able to revolutionize the sound of pop music again. Um, I also will say, listening to this, I think her voice sounds better here than it did in the 60s, almost. Well, I mean, as much as it may have been sweetened, there's also a, um, like, there are certain things um, that happen with aging that you can't sweeten out. Um, yes. Like, whenever I hear this sort of, um, whenever I realize that this is what is happening in a song and usually making me like it more, I think of going to see the police the last time they toured and staying admitting to the audience that they had had to key Roxanne down so that he could get that note at the beginning. And he's like, I used to be able to hit it for a long time. Those days are over. I apologize for nothing. Roxanne. And you're like, you know what? We, we all have to just be where we are sometimes. It's important. Yes. This song, I mean, I have so many memories of like, and they're all connected to um, people yelling at whoever is controlling the music to turn it off. <laughs> like, one time, star of Jazz Dass, John Ramos, and our friend Jimmy, and a few other people, and I were on some, like, we're on a weekend in, like, one of the lesser Hamptons, or maybe we were in Fire Island, and, like, basically someone else in the house that we were renting informed Jimmy that he had a set number of times that he was allowed to play Believe, so he shouldn't burn them all on Friday night. <laughs> I've also been like playing cards at a gay bar where friends of mine are regulars and like it'll come on and the bartender who's like playing cards with us is like, I mean, how do we feel? Leave it on for old time's sake or switch to something else. And like, it just depends on how we're feeling. But like, I don't think I'd heard this the whole way through in ages. I think it is now starting to become a punchline for stuff that is set way back in the 90s, which Jesus, but also- (laughs) Ha, because it was everywhere. But I mean, it just has that um, Phoenix rising Thelma Houston energy to it. And it brings me back to just like living in New York in 1998. And there was like not a square foot of the city that you could go to where this was not probably playing somewhere. And I still... I still love it. Like, it's a great song, but it's also such a share song. Like, yes. just this, like, defiant, 
survivorness, but also that she's using a vocoder because she's like, well, you know, I only have so much energy to give to this because I have Epstein Barr. So let's just let the vocoder do some work. I mean, I was surprised that this this was number one for a while for me, but it ends at number two. Nine points. Well, so, okay, so many things that you said resonate with me. I have such a clear memory of being at a gay bar in Atlanta where <laughs> they had, like, you know, they, like some bars will have a wall where they've got a screen down and they project video, music videos onto yeah. it. And I can remember watching the screen be like motorized the motorized game dropping down as the opening sounds of believe came on like they didn't turn on the projector until this song (laughs) came on and then they started projecting the video and i just remember thinking that's so right like the entrance of the entire technological system is made on shares behalf i mean i would like to note that the bar i was in barracuda like there's porn on while believe is playing so I mean, yes, it's a small TV, but that's definitely still fisting. And then their share being like, do you believe in life after love? I'm like, I'm not sure anyone in this particular sex scene is going to survive. <laughs> but yes, I do. Um, the other thing that's... I, it, you're, the, you, the term, the word ubiquity barely scratches the surface yeah, of what <laughs> it was like for this song. It's <laughs> true. I mean, in in the circles in which you and I ran, especially, I'm sure that like if I had been working in a steel mill in like in Ossining, I might not have heard it as much. But oh, maybe <laughs> I would have. I don't know. But let's just take a moment and picture is- that <laughs> that uh, timeline. You and me on we the line. We work hard. We work hard. We play hard. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> And at night, we would have absolutely turned this steel mill steel mill into flash dance, and it would have been fine. Fucking a. But one of the things that was great about this song is it was really popular in the moment, so all of the young queer people could like it. But it was fucking share, so all of the older queer people could love it too. And it was like share united every generation of gay man because it was like literally everyone who was out was like I have a strong personal connection to share. Anyone who had seen the movie Moonstruck and uh-huh. clapped and cheered when she slapped the shit out of Nicolas Cage and said snap out of it. I mean, it's just it's just this it's a transcendent moment in the narrative of pop music history that this survivor woman comes back with this song that is not just a hit but is like the hit. And it, like you said it's so triumphant and there's so much power in it, but it's also got a little tech gloss and the lyrics are like weary but powerful and it's just fucking great and and yet also like you second place i mean <laughs> Nine points. it's a good dancing song and it's a good driving song that's that's not as easy to do as you might think i know and also i can remember very clearly that i was the um the summer ra of this uh this scholarship program and we had dance parties that used this and ray of light very extensively and it was always very successful um but i anyway yeah so i also i went into this actually assuming it was going to be my number one and then it it was my number two it was also number two for the patrons so that's across the board deep deep love for believe um it was one of the highlights of the share concert as well so um yeah second place all around uh i will also note that well just one more note before we move on that if you think about when it came out, this, the fact that it 
you know, it uh, created this unity across gay generations. Like we, f- we forget this so easily. And I, f- I feel like I bring this up a lot. Like we have to remember that until just a couple of years before this song came out, AIDS was a death sentence. Like, yes. So that there would be this, um, Phoenix icon, um, like singing a song about belief like life after love i mean you know yeah i'm that's probably not what she meant but you can extrapolate from it and like to be uh. in the club and shoulder to shoulder with your brethren realizing like we can we can love and not pay for it with our lives and here is this song that goes with that it's really something. I mean, Ugh, it's also just yeah. a straight banger without the like, you know, medical cultural shit. But I did want to point that out that there is but those are, there is that underpinning. But those are the things. Those are the narratives that underpin a song that turn it from a hit into a touchstone. Yeah, exactly. And another thing I should say: the song was the number one hit of 1999, and it peaked on the charts in 99. But you mentioned in 98, and you're correct. Another thing that happened, the song was a hit in Europe in 98, and because it clearly is a Eurodance song. I mean, come oh, on. yeah. And it, it reached gay clubs in America in late 98. And so there was also that added thing of like, this song that we've been liking is now everywhere. That was that also added moment of disbelief of like, I can't believe a song this queer, this like so clearly Eurodance is a big hit. Anyway, so much that has turned it into an iconic song. Yeah, now I'm feeling Next. a little bad about only putting it at number two, but this is the ranking <laughs> episode for you. I still stand by it, but we'll get to that later, too. Next, we get to a song that, for me, Sarah, has bounced around. Mm-hmm. It is, um, I have a really strong memory of hearing Dark Lady in a lesbian bar in Atlanta when I was in college called My Sister's Room. And that was the joke. Like, where are you, where are you hanging out tonight? Oh, we're going to go hang out in My Sister's Room. What? Uh-huh. Yeah, the lesbian bar. The DJ at my sister's room would always at 11 p.m. play Dark Lady by Cher. And I remember the first time I was there and I knew every word. And she was like, holy shit, you know every word to Dark Lady? And I got a free gin and tonic out of it. Thank you. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I did. And I was proud. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's all to say, this was Cher's third solo number one hit. And even though we're talking about it first, it is her third consecutive story song that reached number one. It's a, such an interesting trifecta of number one hits for her. Here is a little taste of Dark Lady. So I ran home and crawled in my bed. I couldn't sleep because of all the things she said. Then I remembered her strange perfume.
it's yet another murder ballad in the history of Cher. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever heard this before. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I went on quite a journey with this where I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Why, why are the fucking finger symbols back? Okay. <laughs> what exactly happened? Okay, you killed her and then we're just rushing to the end of the... Su- okay, bye. <laughs> like... This is another one that I wanted to like more than I did that rattled around towards the top of the rankings. It's not low. It's at number five for six points. But like lyrically, this is fascinating. This is an excellent song. Um, And it brings in like there's the occult. There's a little bit of a like case, like a puzzle aspect that it's like, where do I know the perfume from? Hey, and then all of a sudden murders and for for listeners who don't know the song the plot is Cher gets her fortune told by a woman who is known only as dark lady and dark lady is like you need to leave your man trust me and Cher is really upset about it and then Cher figures out oh this bitch is telling me i need to leave my man because she's fucking my she's man. fucking my man and then she yeah. Yeah, because she, this dark lady is telling me I need to leave my man because dark lady is fucking my man. Yeah. And then Cher kills them both. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it, like, the lyrics are, like, they're clear on what's happening, but they're just elliptical enough to let you, mm-hmm. like, do some thinking on your own. And, like, you sort of arrive at that place at the same place as the narrator. But there's, the, here again, there's too much shit on the song. The tempo, I feel, is not correct. Like, you need either to slow the tempo down or you need to take one of the backing vocals out or you need to get rid of the, like, I don't know, toe bells and the clapping. Like, there's just (laughs) two, like, Dark Lady needs to take two to three things off before she leaves the house to get killed. But (laughs) this was really, like... I mean, I would listen to the song again. Like, these things aren't bothersome enough that I'd be like, get out or like change the station. Like, this is a really interesting concept. I just think she's not yes. quite there, um, especially compared to like comparable songs in this ranking where I think she nails the balance, which is tricky, but she nails it better. So, like I said, five, six points. And I think it's worth noting that. This was Cher's brand at this point because yes, I'll just, it's not like I'm spoiling anything. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, and Half-Breed had already happened. So at this point, this song was written specifically for Cher, and he was required by the producers to rewrite the final verse so that Cher could kill them. Like, it didn't start out as a murder ballad, but then they were like, no, it has to be a murder ballad. Because so actual Cher song- would probably actually kill them. That's exactly right. Seems so at this point, this song this song was also released when Cher was in the height of her variety show fame. Uh, and, you know, she had sort of developed this persona of like, I'm sassy and I wear my hair like this and I toss it. Like all of those Cher mannerisms that people still make fun of today arrived in the 70s oh on my that God, show. Which so, I, I would only be allowed to watch this if I had a babysitter. So, my gosh. Oof. I was like ensorcelled by her and her hair. <laughs> I mean, even watching old footage of that, it's like, God, she was really uh, hypnotizing. Like, or ensorcelled, like you said. So, this song is definitely Cher TM. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I, like you said, don't mind it. I, I think it's not the best of her story songs either. But, like, it's so outré in a way that I love. Yes. And, you know, yes, share, you know, hit those low notes and talk about shooting somebody. Great. There's something so unapologetically extra about this yeah, song yeah. that it 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 has a soft it has a place in my heart and I agree with you 100%. I also put it in 5th place with 6 points. Okay. Uh and you know, I would as I've said before, I wouldn't kick it out of bed yep. ever nope. because it's also not that long. If this song were 7 minutes long, I wouldn't want it. But yeah. you know, <laughs> three and a half minutes? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, and then the patrons put it in seventh place and gave it four points. I think that's about right. I agree. Now, coming up next is the first of Cher's story song hits. This is a little clip from Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. In the wagon of a traveling show My mama used to dance for the money they'd throw Mama would do whatever he could Preach a little gospel Sell a couple bottles of Dr. Okay, Sarah, this is a song I have known for a long time and knew that I loved, but the Mastis approach made me realize I think this song is actually a masterpiece, and here's why. This song is the story song in her catalog that tells a really complete story, first of all, and it is a story about racism and sexism and economic oppression that cannot be escaped. So Cher, as you've just heard, she's a young girl. She's going around with her family in a wagon. Her dad is trying to hustle some money by selling some snake oil. Fortunes are told all. And the people that pay for their services also openly berate them by calling them gypsies, tramps, and thieves. And then she meets a young man later in the song when she's 16. He was 21. Hmm. They ride around to Memphis, and then she gets pregnant. And then at the last verse of the song... Now she's the one dancing for money. Her her father is now a grandfather, still doing what he did. And there's a baby who has been born into this cycle. And they're still being called gypsies, tramps, and thieves. So you see the narrator of this song is this young, innocent girl who is forced to realize that her heart isn't going to be taken seriously by the same by anyone nor will her body nor were nor will her identity she's going to be the subject of ridicule while people still pay to use her and i think that's pretty fucking deep and you put all of that together with this really driving beat and yes it is culturally insensitive to call someone a gypsy but the song knows it even then it's not like it's saying great i got called a gypsy no so Musically, there is what could be called a quote-unquote gypsy sound here, but I think it makes perfect sense. I think the song has earned it. I love it so much. Third place, eight points, but I would still give it a 10 out of 10 on a different type of ranking scale. Well. Um, <laughs> we couldn't agree forever. Um, yeah, I really am shocked that you didn't rank this higher because this is my number one bitch oh shit the delivery of but at night the men 
all the men would come around and lay their money down, there is fucking centuries of bitterness in that line. Yes. This is like all the times before now in this ranking where I'm like, why isn't she engaging? Like, this is what happens. It's almost too much to take. All the other times when I'm like, this is too fussy. There are too many bells. We fucking get it. They live in that unincorporated land on the edge of town and people throw tomatoes at them. Like, take one thing off. Everything in this song must be here. Um, Yes. Every lyric is necessary. Again, quite elliptical if you think about it. Like, you do have to sort of like listen along and then you're like, oh, I see. Because then you're into the second generation at the end. It's a quite economical song. It is, she is distressed, but it's not oversung. She, like, that turn in the chorus where she's so angry and then it just slides into this, like, but then, of course, at night, they'd look at her tits, those fuckers. Like, you know, welcome to life. Welcome to the hypocrisy of the power structure. Like, there is so much in here. And I was like... You know, like there are there are problematic things with it, but I think they're in the service of pointing out this sexism, racism, small town hypocrisy, the plight Classism, of the yeah. sex worker, etc. Teenage pregnancy, what like whatever issue, they're all in here. And like I, I just I was resisting making it number one but then i was like prepping this episode and i went to do something else and i couldn't stop thinking about that line delivery that she's like yeah but then but then they come back to use us some more and i just i cannot agree more with you that this is a masterpiece and that in every aspect in the lyrics the construction the delivery the uh nestling of it in this perfect like you know on this perfect plate like the plating is perfect i mean yeah i was like i can't put this number one but it's how i feel so it's my number one 10 points listen you know you're not going to get any argument from me because my top three songs are all tens i i as far as i'm Mm. concerned and ultimately, the reasons that songs moved into one, two, or three were based on personal life memories of enjoying them. Yeah, same. And, uh, but like, holy shit. You're, I, I just think it's like, this is the perfect marriage of song and performer. Yes. In a way that, I, who else in the history of popular music could have performed this? Yeah. Song, you know? And obviously other people could have, but Cher is so good that it makes me feel like it's hard to imagine anyone else doing it. Yeah. And... Oh God, yeah, and and you're so right too that that bitterness is is there. It's just it really is there. Yeah, and like she's on the, the point this, of tears of frustration, and the fact that she just winds up exactly like her mother by the time that the song ends. It, oh God, it's a really fucking bleak, angry indictment of the American culture, and uh, it was a number one hit. So damn, yeah. go ahead, girl. Now that brings us to. Our third uh, story song, although second chronologically, again, this was also a number one hit. This was another song that was written explicitly for Cher, as I learned, obviously because of Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. In this song, well, let's just listen to a clip of Half Breed and then we can talk yes. about it. We never settled, went from town to town. When you 
you're not welcome, you don't hang around. The other children always laugh at me. Give her a feather, she's a Cherokee. Help me, that's all I have for her. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Here, here's the thing. It, you know, it's the same. It's the same problems as the non-gypsy stripes of thieves story songs. Um, and you know, I know that that's the point, but it's offensive. The thing is, the rest of the lyrics are good. Like it's it's very straight ahead. There's less clutter on it. I I do feel that the vocal is a little like not lived in quite but this is another song that like you just keep thinking about it and churning it over like why like what is bothering me about this mm. um what and but also then at the same time like why am i singing it like why am i why am i thinking about it like i i think this is just like uh a sequel to Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves that is like, it's good and I don't mind having paid for it. It's like Ocean's 12. Like, I think it was maybe, you know, <laughs> a little underrated. But like, this is one that kept strangely rising in the rankings because I'm like, I think part of my struggle with it, like the part of it that I don't like is that I feel like I shouldn't like it. And, but I, I, yeah. I think it's good. I think it just doesn't do what it does well as well as Gypsy Stramps and Thieves. But I still put it at number four. Rock on. I think that you just articulated my relationship with this song pretty well, which is that I don't think I'm allowed to like it, but I do like yeah. it. I mean, if we, and, it's like the Tori Amos song that it's like, we shouldn't really rank this, but. And you know, again, Cher is not Native American, obviously, but this is another song that is trying to take, it's taking a sympathetic perspective on an ostracized character. Yes. A woman who is, who is biracial, who is rejected by both communities from which she ostensibly springs. Um, I don't know if you have seen, and if you haven't seen it, Sarah, do yourself the treat of looking for the video that's available on YouTube of Cher singing this on her variety show, she sits atop a live horse oh. wearing a body stocking and an enormous white headdress. Yeah, I've I've seen photos of that. You can see you can see the horse in if you watch the video you can see that the horse is like what the fuck is going on? Um <laughs> this is this song is also completely extra. Uh the tom tom rhythm underneath yeah, that's is completely extra. Yeah, not I mean I I really should I really should have ranked this lower, but, but, but no, but that's the thing. I think that I chickened out because I ranked it in eighth place, but if I'm being honest with you, I like it more than bang, bang, my baby shot me down. Yeah. Like I really should have bare minimum. have put this in seventh place, but I put it in eighth place. And I think at the end of the day, the storytelling here is just a little more vague than it is in Dark Lady or Gypsy yeah, And also Thieves. clumsier. Like, I mean, I understand what you're trying to highlight, but then, I don't know, call it something else. 
Like, and, and yet, don't use a tom tom, please, please. Exactly. I know it's like it's like oh, it's so cringy because it's like I know your intentions were good, but don't. <laughs> but that being said, it is a catchy song with a very memorable chorus. Yeah. Like I understand, I can see why it was a number one hit. I still like it. It's just like maybe one of those that you never, you don't quite crank at the part. No, no. I, we've we've had conversations on the show before about songs that we're probably supposed to cancel, but that we can't quite cancel. Yeah. And this one is one of those I, for me. Yeah, I mean, I think we probably should, and I should probably be canceled for putting it in the top half. Um, but you but, know what? That's the thing, though. Music gets beneath our uh intellectual arguments and the fact that you were still thinking about the character and the storytelling says that there's something that really works here and again the story is not like the the story is on her side it's acknowledging that we in this country make it really hard for people so well and it does it does paint a picture like that line about her grandma being like nope like that sort of stays with you like little share just sort of like standing in someone's front yard where, while her mom is trying to be like, no, 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 but this is your grandchild. And her grandmother's like, no. And see, oh, I yeah, mean, people. I just like gave you a paragraph on that from one line. Like, I don't know. It does something right. It definitely does. And again, I, I, I ranked it too low. So, but I did what I did and I ranked it in eighth place. The patrons, interestingly, only put it in ninth place. And that, everything that i've just said is probably why and the thing is that and i cannot disagree no i can't either with someone who who would kick this onto the curb but this is also one of the reasons that share is such a fun artist to talk about because share is controversial and i just share you you cannot distill share into one thing ever yeah and i love that about her. i mean look just so we're clear it is not okay to appropriate the pain of indigenous people for this song that uses this horrible language. It's not okay. I know it was the 70s. It's not okay. But I, too, will have to stand by having ranked it higher than I should have. We're all in this together. Yeah, and I, I do want to stress that, too. I am not saying that, oh, you know what? They meant well. Yeah. Oh, God. It's no. fine. It you meant it's It's not you meant well, and therefore it's fine. It's... You meant well, but this is really, really bad. Yeah, but yeah, like, let's let's just not with this one anymore. I was, I think, and, and and I think that's why Cher doesn't perform the song in concert anymore well, because yeah. it's like, what what can you possibly achieve with it at this point? Uh, it, it's time has passed. Yeah, and I think that that's also the difference. Like looking back on things and being like, okay, you meant well, and I see you now in the future if you're if you don't act like this anymore it's easier for me to forgive like let's just leave it where it let's leave it where it sprang let's do that yeah and and so i do think i think it is worth pointing out again yes it is wrong to grossly appropriate the culture of other people no matter what your intentions are and this song is cringy but there's still things about it that work narratively it is a fascinating thing to consider it is next we have the a song the song that rocketed share to fame when she was only 19 years old 19 years old here is a clip from her very first number one hit with sunny i got you babe in the spring i got you 
wear my ring Put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain We can't climb Babe I got you, babe I got you Sarah, you have talked many times on the show about songs that you have just permanently heard too much. Mm-hmm. And this is that song for me, yep. hands down. Yep. Like... I got you, babe. Intellectually, I understand that this is a good song. It is a. It makes very good use of Sonny and Cher's dynamic. They're so much better when they're talking to each other about each other mm-hmm. than when they're trying to talk about the electrical baseball score. <laughs> it's like the one fucking time that Sonny Bono's terrible singing voice makes any kind of sense because it's an opposites attract kind of story. And it's like this tall, beautiful woman with real pipes and this short gnomish looking fellow wearing homunculus yes (laughs) there it is this vest wearing homunculus sure but you know what that's part of the sweetness of the song they still love each other and the lyrics are actually clever and the sing-songy cadence of the lyrics are good and shares hitting that big note makes emotional sense in the song when she says, uh, and when I'm scared, you're a clown, like that's a moment of relief and joy, so it needs the big note. And that little toot, 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 very satisfying. That said, I've been hearing this song on a constant loop since I was in the womb, and I just can't feel anything for it anymore. So I put it in sixth place, five points, basically to, as a nod to the fact that I know it's good, but I couldn't put it any higher because I, I'm not going to get excited about it ever again. Um, I might get excited by it in terms of talking about how much I hate it because I do. I flat hate it. The, you know, it being everywhere forever for both of our entire lives is part of the problem. But also, as with the other one from this era, I just don't like it. I don't think his, his voice is better suited to this, but it still sucks. I think they're both nasally and droney. It feels extremely cynical in an attempt to get played at proms and weddings and get on DJ lists and make money. It worked. Congrats. (laughs) I understand this was part of the brand with the variety show. Great. Like, no one is required to give any of that money back or to me. But this, like, drags. And it's like the gold standard of mid-century us versus the world pop. And yet I want to throw it down a manhole and, you know, followed by an entire beehive. I hate it. Tenth. One point. Oh, shit. Shots across the bow. Well, you know what? Fair. I mean, Um, I wish I didn't because it's still going to be everywhere no matter what I say, but I don't like it. And you know what? You don't have to. The patrons liked it more than us. They put it in fourth place. Um, but I think the fact that a song this iconic only made fourth place in our patrons poll also speaks to the fact that like, yeah, we've maybe all heard it enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. That's again, sixth from me, fourth from the patrons and 
last place, 10th from you. Mm-hmm. Now we get to the highlight of the share concert. Believe was great, but if I could turn back time was even better. Written by my friend and yours, Diane Warren. Yeah. This is If I Could Turn Back Time. I don't know why I said the things I said Rides like a knife, it can cut deep inside Words are like weapons, they wound sometimes I didn't really mean to hurt you I didn't want to see you go I know I made you cry, but baby I, yeah, a little background. Uh, Apparently, Diane Warren reported that when Cher first heard this song, she hated it. And Diane Warren, and I'm quoting her now, says, I held her leg down during a session and said, you have to record it. And then Cher reportedly responded, fuck you, bitch, you're hurting my leg. Okay, (laughs) I'll try it. She gave me this look later like, you were right. And... That if that doesn't sum up why Cher is the best, I don't oh know what God. does. She's like, "Fuck you, bitch! You're hurting my leg." Okay, I'll sing your fucking song. Okay, great, it's great. Well, it is great. This is a song that reached number three in 1989. It is again from Cher's second album on Gavin Records when she was right in the middle of her rock pop phase. The music video is iconic when she's wearing basically some masking tape on a on a big naval ship. Uh, it's just like. Everything that I love about Cher is encapsulated by this song. I love it. It's my number one, hands down, number one, 10 points. The opening chords still take me straight back to her strutting down the basically runway of that aircraft carrier. And like, apparently the whatever, the Navy was like, uh, we were told there would be a flight suit. And she's like, this is a flight suit. <laughs> a birthday flight suit. Um, this this was also like the um, Bagel Boy era, and she was like winning Oscars everywhere. I mean, uh, she was younger than me when this was filmed, which is terrifying. Anyway, the, it just takes me straight back to like th- this is a this is a diva. This is a star, like literally a star, like the just the charisma like beaming off of her i mean it's just amazing and then the song itself is like there's this heart ish um ness to the vocal and to those like guitars that nah, 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 nah. i mean oh my god it's really good i'm i'm sorry i couldn't give it better than third but it's third so we listened ourselves on gypsies so yeah, and you know, like our top three are the same top three, just in slightly different orders. Yeah. Um, this is also far and away the number one song for the patrons as well. So that is a, a very I think high that's score. That's probably that. This is a very high score for if I could turn back time. But you know what? It should be a high score because 
this is the kind of song that's it's it's easy to think that this song is uh easy to make because everyone involved is so good at what they do yeah you know diane warren's key change game is so on point and if i could turn back time the the lyrical conceit of the song is so clever you know like i there's nothing I can do. I would do anything to make you love me, but I can't. But know that if I could take it all back, I would. Like, that's just a really good emotional place to be in when you're trying to sing. You can really sink your teeth into that. Yeah. And, they, like, sh- the vocal is perfectly matched to the material. Yes. Yeah. Cher, Cher has the chops to really fucking sell it. And she does. Yeah, she does. Damn, I love this song. Yeah, like it just never gets old. And I think it's if this song were some, were less lyrically specific, if it were sung by someone else, if it were structured differently, it wouldn't work as well. But it's the the alchemy of great pop songs, you know, that just all comes together. Girl, and then also just strutting around with that rose tattoo on her ass at the age of 42. Yeah. Fuck everybody. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Start with me because I absolutely would. And even even in 89, Cher was already a survivor. She'd already been around for 24 years by the time this song came out. You know, it's just, she was just, oh, God. Yeah. And she had an Oscar. God, you're right. Okay, so then, well, not to say that we're ending on a perhaps muted note after If I Could Turn Back Time. I will say that Take Me Home reached number eight on the Hot 100, and there are two songs one by Cher Solo called The Way of Love and one by Sonny and Cher that, honestly, I can't even remember the name. It's so forgettable. <laughs> it also peaked at number seven. But I just felt like I didn't want to talk about either one of those songs. So I cheated and let Take Me Home, which is technically her 13th biggest hit, onto this countdown. No, her 12th biggest hit. But I let it on the countdown because it's Cher's disco hit. And I just think it's worth the the purposes of this conversation it's worth serving the purposes of this conversation, which is exploring the entire vast range of her career hmm. by acknowledging the fact that Cher also, along with 60s folk pop and 90s Euro dance and 80s adult contemporary power balladry and rock songs, also had a disco hit because she can do literally everything and people will like it. That being said, uh, well, here's a clip from Take Me Home. Take me home, take me home. Oh, can't you see I want you near? Take me home, take me home. Ooh, baby, let's get out of here. I follow you anywhere. Your place on It's fine. Uh-huh. Like I don't I don't believe a word she's saying and I don't believe she believes a word she's saying. Um this is pleasant boring filler. That's correct. The best thing about this is the album cover where she's wearing some sort of gold warrior sun goddess outfit. Yes. That is correct. But you know, you think about a song like this and you think about it next to a song like No More Tears, Enough is Enough by Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, No More Tears, Enough is Enough is what the good 
version of this song is. Yeah. This, this this to me, you're right. It's filler. It's like it's track nine on a nine track album, or no, it's track nine on like a twelve track album. You know, it's just sort of like hanging out. It's it's not offensive, but it's not that interesting. But I just wanted to mention that Cher had had a uh, a disco hit, and quite frankly, neither of the two songs that we leapfrogged to get it here are all that great either. So you know, Cher, you can do it. Good for you. You had a disco hit. I still put this in ninth place. Two points. Yeah, I regret having it as high as seventh, but that's where it is. I mean, here's the thing. If she did a disco murder ballad, like sometimes the really great disco hits, like you feel a little weird dancing to them, but like the <laughs> the greater the pain, the the sort of more cleansing the dance experience. Whereas if you set out to write a disco hit that is like overtly about like blowing a couple rails and getting it on then it can feel kind of like uninvested and who cares and i think that's what happened here that she's like let's go back to my place and it's like okay like but what are you what are we actually going to do at your place we're just going to like watch the late movie and eat ice cream right so why all the foo like yeah just just get you know, the limo and let's get some ben and jerry's let's skip let's skip it yeah and you, you think about like abba they they figured it out i anyway i agree so um you put it in uh seventh place gave it four points and the patrons put it dead last in 10th yeah i mean yeah that 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 seems that seems about right yeah i think uh in the you know constellation of who cares that's where it belongs are you ready i've actually now got the rankings for every song i can do 10 to 1 all right let's do it in 10th place with six points, the beat goes on. Yeah. That's tracks. In ninth place with seven points, Take Me Home. Uh-huh. So you're the one that kept it out of the basement there. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. But I think it's actually fine that the lowest ranking song is The Beat Goes On because fuck that. Yeah. Um, then we have then we jump from seven points to 12 points in a two-way tie for eighth place between Half Breed and Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. Huh. Okay. Then from 12 points, we go to 16 points for our sixth place song, Dark Lady. Then with 18 points in fifth is After All. Oh, that hurts my heart a little bit. Yeah. Fifth. Fifth. But, you know, I, I well, fourth and place. Fucking I Got You, Babe, beat it. <sighs> yeah. Yes. Fourth place with 22 points is I Got You, Babe. Oh, and all right. After All is better than I Got You, Babe. It and is. I, I, I wish... That it hadn't worked out this way, Me but too. it did. You can't do anything but about we're it. We're not. We're not mad. No, it's all right. <sighs> we're just disappointed. Um, and then third place with twenty six points. So that is a big um, jump from yeah. twenty two to twenty six for third. Uh, this is Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Mm-hmm. And then twenty seven points. Second place is Believe. Uh-huh. And first place with 28 points, if I could turn back time. I have so our, zero problem with that podium. Zero. Yeah. Our first, our top three are If I Could Turn Back Time, Believe, Gypsies, Trans, and Thieves. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. And Half-Breed clattering around in the basement is, I think, where that should stay. <laughs> I just want to thank you again for the phrase, vest-wearing homunculus. Yeah. Fur-vest-wearing homunculus. Oh, yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> Fur vest wearing homunculus. <laughs> Muppet pelt vest wearing homunculus. I could probably keep adding on, but I mean, it is an episode about share. Just keep putting things on. Just keep <laughs> adding. Well, 
listeners, thank you for being with us for 200 episodes. Patrons, thank you for uh, your votes. Remember, if you would like to be a patron, just join us at patreon.com slash mastis, and you can vote in future polls. Sarah, thank you for being my co-captain of this crazy airplane for 200 episodes. Thank you, Uh, and you're welcome. And it really flew by. 200 episodes. Amazing. I know. Like, honestly, if I think back to what has happened in my life since we started this, a lot has gone down. But the time also has flown. It it really has. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Talk about songs, talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.